the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Calcedon Report number 12, September 1966. One of the things we shall hear more and more about these days is planning. Master plans are either being developed for every community, county, state, business, and group, or else are slated for development. Hand in hand with this go plans for data banks, master files giving full information on every individual, organization, or group. Some of the statements made by the planners are alarming. Thus, Mel Scott, in proposing a metropolitan area government for Southern California, said, quote, One of these days there will be brought into being in this metropolitan region an urban resettlement agency. It should be the most unorthodox agency ever conceived and should be free to experiment with a great variety of services, projects, methods, and legal powers, unquote. On the other hand, some planners are themselves alarmed at the potential menace in planning. Whether liberals or socialists, they believe that their planning is for the good of man, and the dangerous overtones of planning frighten them. Thus, planner Albert Meinlin has asked, quote, In marching courageously forward to a 1984 utopia, are we not also blindly paving the way for a possible 1984 Big Brother? Unquote. The answer is obviously yes. Socialism rests on two foundations. First, managed money, counterfeit money, or paper money. Since money is the lifeblood of economics, control of an economy requires control of money. When money controls begin, socialism ensues whether it is intended or not. Second, planning is the next requirement. To manage an economy, it is necessary to increase the controls over the economy and this calls for ever-increasing planning, and finally, total planning. To manage the economy, you must control and plan it, and the control begins with money and spreads to every aspect of every man's life. Planning means several things. First, its goal is total control over man in order to provide man all the benefits socialism offers. For socialism to function, total control is necessary. Second, this means that there must be a total plan for man. We shall hear more and more about total planning. It is impossible to go to any corner of the United States and escape a master plan for the area and for yourself. Socialism wants to save man, and to save man it must plan and control his life. Third, to plan and control man, it is necessary to have total knowledge about man. As a result, 
data banks, and master files are being accumulated to provide that total knowledge about every man, community, group, vocation, and all things else. A Marxist, Maurice Cornforth, in an important work, Marxism and the Linguistic Philosophy, International Publishers, 1965, has written, quote, The goal of social politics and social planning is, obviously, to produce an absolute abundance of goods and services so that all that anyone can need is available to him. And apart from obstacles of external interference, natural calamities and errors of planning, all of which are surmountable, there is no reason why this goal should not be reached, unquote. Page 327. In total planning, the state takes the place of God, and it gives us predestination by man, predestination by the socialist state as the substitute for God's predestination. But as Cornforth said, to accomplish this, the state must be free from opposition, natural disasters, which are unplanned, as droughts and floods always are, and also free from human errors. This is quite an order. What happens in reality when the state begins to plan? The stronger the state becomes, the more extensive becomes its planning, and the more serious its penalties for nonconformity. The statistics of a state decline in accuracy to the same ratio as the state increases in power. A powerful state demands success of its bureaucracy, and it demands conformity. It gets conformity, but not success. Every five-year plan in the Soviet Union was planned on the basis of statistics provided by every division of state and industry and agriculture as well. The statistics were dishonest. Men were afraid to report the chaos which existed in their area, and they provided doctored statistics as a result. The Soviet planning rested, therefore, on erroneous statistics. When the plan ended, who wanted to report failure and go to Siberia? Everyone reported success. Thus, the plan was a success. The USSR was gaining on the U.S., and people were starving when statistics reported a good harvest. It is not necessary, however, to go to the Soviet Union for dishonest statistics. They exist everywhere and in all states. When the European powers took over Africa, they worked to civilize it. Cannibalism was outlawed. Now every good colonial administrator wanted to report success and gain promotion. And so they reported a steady decline in cannibalism and a rise in civilization. Thus they went on to a higher post after claiming a 30% decline in cannibalism. Their successors followed a similar practice until cannibalism was statistically abolished and civilization reigned in Africa. But the difference between statistics and reality appeared when the colonies gained independence and cannibalism revived. Nigeria was regarded as a showplace of African statehood with extensive education. British degrees from distinguished universities abounding, and the Prime Minister, Sir Albaker Tafal Balua, knighted by Queen Elizabeth. Unfortunately, on January 15, 1965, Sir Albaker, Sir Amado Bello, and other dignitaries proved to be the main course at a dinner held, quote, by local Democrats and humanitarians, unquote. U.S. statistics, as provided by the federal, state, county, and city governments are a little better, and the higher up one goes, the worse they get. 
Statistics are economic data, but when collected for state usage, they become political facts, and they are therefore bent, twisted, and altered to suit political purposes. A business firm must have accurate statistical data on sales, cost, and production, or it will go out of business. From start to finish, business statistics are economic facts and are governed by hard economic realities. But from start to the finish, under socialism, statistics are political facts and are governed by political realities. As a result, economic reality is suppressed, and the result is continued political power for a time together with economic chaos. This is the nemesis of socialism. Socialism cannot work because first it tries to assume the role and the prerogative of God, which is impossible. And second, because socialism destroys economic order by giving politics primacy and power over economics. And since political management of the economic sphere is a basic tenet of socialism, socialism is by nature involved in a contradiction and an impossibility. How then does socialism survive at all? There are two roads for socialist survival. First, socialism is parasitic. It must feed on a healthy body to survive. A parasite can only live as long as it has a healthy or living body to feed on. When the host body dies, the parasite either finds another host or dies also. Today, the U.S. is the host body for the world parasites, and it is bleeding to death. Second, because socialism is parasitic, it is imperialistic. Every socialist state must capture ever-fresh countries in order to gut their economies and survive a little longer. Whether military or otherwise, imperialism becomes a necessity for socialism. We need not be surprised then at the continual aggression of a socialistic era. Master planning thus ends in a masterpiece of anarchy, lawlessness, and confusion. Man's plan is failing everywhere, as it of necessity must. God's plan alone remains assured, and we must move in terms of it. Calcedon Report number 13, October 1966. One of the most important things for us to know in understanding our world is that it is a world under God's law. At every point in our lives, we are governed by law. The laws of physiology, the laws of our body, are very real laws, as are laws of digestion, rest, exercise, sleep, and so on. We despise or break them at our peril. The physical world has its laws, and we live in terms of them. We cannot annul gravity because we have decided on an impulse to float upward instead of falling down. We have laws in every realm, biological, sociological, chemical, economic, religious, and so on. In some areas, the laws are no less certain, but not so quick in their consequences. Taking arsenic has a quick effect. Taking narcotics is somewhat slower. And being an alcoholic is slower yet. But each course involves a violation of God's laws for the body, and the pursued course is death. In the world of human affairs, God's laws are, as everywhere else, operative. But by the providence of God, man is given more rope in some areas than in others, and these areas become significant, therefore, in human history.
Politics is one such area. God's basic requirement of the political order is the recognition that sovereignty belongs not to man, nor to the state, but to God alone. The state cannot be neutral towards the triune God. It must recognize that the triune God is the basic and ultimate lawgiver, and it must seek to further godly law and order. But politics is also a realm where man can assert and has repeatedly asserted his maximum defiance of God. The state has claimed sovereignty and set itself up as God and as man's savior. The state has made man's law supreme and has despised God's law. It has claimed the right to govern other law spheres such as religion and economics, and the state has acted as though there were no absolute law in the universe, only man-made law. This attitude is, of course, basic to socialism in its every form. Fabian, Marxist, quote, Christian, unquote, and so on. And many, many people are socialists without knowing it, because they either put their trust in politics or ascribe fearfully impossible powers to politics, which are impossible in God's world. Economics is a law sphere. The economists have named the laws, but they operated before they were named. Gresham's law has been true in all history. Quote, bad money drives out good money, unquote. No man will trade real silver and gold for counterfeit if he can avoid it. And, in the long run, the silver and gold are hoarded, and the counterfeit or debased coinage alone circulates until it collapses. Gresham did not invent this law. He simply observed the reality in God's universe. The socialist believes that politics can successfully control economics. Quote, Washington won't let it happen. They can't afford to politically. Unquote. But Washington is not God, and Washington, D.C., having set aside economic law, will suffer the consequences of violating economic law, economic disaster. If man can avert the consequences of God's law, then man has dethroned God. If Washington, D.C. can make its own economic laws as it goes along, and by legislation and by administrative action avert the consequences of its action, then causality has been abolished, law has been abolished, and the political managers are the new gods of the universe. This, of course, is their very claim. Quote, God is dead. Long live the welfare state. Unquote. They are very religious about it. One prominent scientist in his book entitled Man's Means to His End concludes with a chapter entitled, quote, Godliness Without a God, unquote. According to Sir Robert Watson Watt, quote, man's chief end is to glorify man and to enjoy him forever, unquote. Man is his own God, and therefore man is his own lawgiver, making his own laws as he goes along. Now, it is unpleasant to think about troubles ahead, we all tend to like our life as it is. We want the world to change without anyone's hair being must. But the fact of economic crisis and collapse is the certainty of God's government. Man is not permitted to remake the world or himself after his own image. God's judgment and God's laws prevail. To believe in a political answer to economic problems is to desert belief in law for a belief in man. To hope that we can solve economic problems by political action is to succumb to the socialist temptation. 
Politics is a very important part in man's life as politics. The founding fathers and the colonial leaders of America were active in politics to limit politics, to keep its role as limited as possible. They were fearful of any politics which claimed too much ability or power for the political order. The essential meaning of the political hope is humanism. The humanist worships man. His faith is in man's capacity to remake the world and man through political action. And this political action is the province of a scientific elite, a managerial and planning elite, who feel no need to conform to any law beyond themselves because they believe that no law exists outside of man. Humanism has captured the American scene, and the real religion of the United States is no longer Christianity, but humanism. The courts have replaced Christianity and education with the new established religion, humanism. Humanism has also captured the churches and is preached from the pulpit by men who are sometimes unaware of their capture. Love, man's humanistic love, is the new Savior, replacing Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. The basic temptation of Satan in Eden was, quote, You shall be as God, knowing good and evil, unquote. In example, every man will be his own God, knowing or determining what is good and evil for himself. This is the essence of humanism in its every form, pragmatism, extensionalism, Marxism, Fabianism, etc. But law, God's law, is the habitat of man. The law sphere of a fish, physiologically, is water. Take him out of water and put him on a table, and he dies. Man's physiological law sphere is air. Place him in water, and he dies. The total law sphere of man in the universe is God. Quote, in him we live and move and have our being. Unquote. Take man out of God's law spheres and man dies. And this is exactly what humanistic politics has done and continues to do. The result will be death. Humanistic politics can solve no problems and prevent no economic collapse. It is itself responsible for the evils which plague it. The Dictionary of Philosophy defines, quote, political philosophy, unquote, as, quote, that branch of philosophy which deals with political life, especially with the essence, origin, and value of the state. In ancient philosophy, politics also embraced what we call ethics, unquote. This is an extremely important point. As Christians, we believe that our ethics, our morality, must be derived from the only true source of law, the triune God. Our ethics are theocentric, God-centered, having reference to His Word and to His judgment. But outside of biblical morality, all morality has been political, being derived from the political order and having reference to political judgment. We cannot understand what is happening in our courts, schools, and pulpits unless we recognize that American morality has been leaving Christianity for humanism, for a political orientation. We are becoming group-oriented, and the Supreme Court is defining morality for us. A very interesting work on the new statist morality and congenial to it is edited by Peter B. Neubauer, M.D., Director of the Child Development Center in New York, and entitled Children in Collectives, Child-Rearing Aims and Practices in the Kibbutz. 
Springfield, Illinois, Charles C. Thomas, Publisher, 1965. Children in Israel's kibbutzim are given a thoroughly socialistic, humanistic training. The kibbutzim is their real parent. Boys and girls sleep together, four to a room until they are 18. Family ties are downgraded for the social tie. The children are really experimental animals. According to one of the writers, quote, The basically different character of the kibbutz offers uniquely rich possibilities for research activities. Beyond this, the existence of a real striving for new conditions of life demands from all of us the study of differences in order that we may broaden our views, unquote. Page 321. Unless God is the source of all law, including moral law, man and the state will be the source of law and of morality. And this we are seeing at an accelerated rate. But God remains the only true lawgiver, and the scripture declares that God is a very jealous God, and he does not take lightly man's usurpation of God's prerogatives. Men may dream that they control the world, that they have abolished economic law and the possibility of economic disaster, but God laughs, as he laughs at all would-be gods and lawmakers. Quote, The Lord shall have them in derision. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Unquote. Psalms 2, 4, and 9. There's a war going on, and wars hurt. Either way, either side, there will be some losses and some hurt. Pick your side. God or the state. God cannot lose, and he makes, quote, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are thee called according to his purpose, unquote. Romans 8.28. The politicians of the world may say, quote, we will not let economic disaster happen, unquote, and God laughs. Quote, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted as less than nothing and worthlessness, unquote. Isaiah forty seventeen Berkeley Version. This God is our God, and He is our hope. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he has shown us by his paying the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me.
Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom 